Hello and welcome to another episode of the LDC Podcast. My name is Rob Castellucci, your host. Today on the show, we have another interview, a fine, fine interview with Mike Johnson. He's a bachatero and a salsero here in Gainesville. I've known Mike for years. He's an amazing dancer with a lot of knowledge, which I mean, we talked about all this stuff on the interview. He came over to my house. We just chatted for a while. I, I you know, I love this Denny's interview. That's really what it felt like. So I hope you guys enjoy this. And before we get started with the podcast, I want to remind you again, if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and check out the podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher and leave us a five-star review. Those really do help. If you have questions or feedback on the show, you can also tweet at me at Rob J. Cast, or you can email me cast7326 at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Whip. I got a fever and the only prescription is more cowbell. So you know how to walk. You know how to dance. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Next right. level up, I want to have, um, you know, stability. I want to have, um, 
uh, I want to have friendships. And then next, like the highest level up is self-actualization. Like mm, I want to become good. in life what I feel like I was born to be. And so that, I, I think about that framework a lot of times when I'm doing salsa, when I'm teaching salsa, when I think about salsa. Because that framework can instead be how you learn dancing. Because mm -hmm. I, I will oftentimes tell my students, like, pay attention to this little detail. But I realize that they can't pay attention to that detail because they don't have the basic step down. You know, if I were to put that hierarchy in, it's like you got to get the basic steps down to the point where you don't have to, you don't have to think about it. Yeah. And once you stop thinking about it, then you start to notice like, oh, this music like changed beats really oh, quick. Okay. Oh, let me play with that. But you can't like and get into this level of like playing mm -hmm. until you have these base things prepared upon. Yeah, know, build upon them. That's super interesting because when I taught, um, I was teaching a couple private lessons and I was trying to explain the idea of mastery of a certain move. Now these these dancers were, I'd say high beginner, starting to like break into the intermediate level and um, they had a good idea of like the rhythm, a good idea of the beat, the musicality somewhat and they were asking like, well how, how do I know when I should move on to the next move or whatever. We were working on certain turn patterns and we got through at the time which was like I think it was a beginner B level or level three. Mm -hmm. I told them as they started to learn intermediate, if you want to work towards mastery, you have to work on the older moves because everything kind of builds in a good structure mm -hmm. of dance. The intermediate moves will build off of the moves you learn in your beginner levels. So, wait, so you're not saying to perfect the older moves, you're saying like may use those older moves to build onto new moves? Like wh what are you saying exactly? There? I guess it's a slight tangent off of what you said, the idea of, of the hierarchy, of understanding okay. this level of the hierarchy because you can or can't based on the previous masteries. Yeah. So for them, they understood the rhythm, they had learned turn patterns, but I could tell that they were still counting through. Like I'm counting yeah. through the beats and I'm, I know on this step I need to do this and this step I need to do this. I told them what their goal should be, especially for the lead was, you should get to the point where say the move's called, I don't know, traveling outside turn. Mm -hmm. Like you should think in your head, traveling outside turn and then execute and your body does the rest by muscle memory. Mm -hmm. That's obviously a slightly higher level of mastery than I'm counting through on this step I do this, on this step I do this, on this step I do this. And I said that as you move towards mastery of these moves, you should be able to essentially become completely dependent on your muscle memory as opposed to your active thought process. And mm -hmm. I said, your challenge is I want you to get through a whole song without any counted basic, meaning stringing all these moves together while having a conversation about your day. When you yeah, actually speaking. Yeah, so basically okay. the music's in the background and I'm asking you know, my girlfriend, my wife about what she did today while I'm dancing with her and doing all the moves from this level. When you can string all those moves together without any basics and have a conversation, that's when I think you've reached at least with those, that, that level of, of turn patterns, you've kind of reached the mastery level. And it forces you to normalize that. Absolutely. It, it, yeah, it puts you into that where you have no choice but to normalize, and it's going to suck at first. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even know if I could do that, to be honest. We'll, we'll see. I mean, it's terrible because I have been in situations where, I don't know, your mind's somewhere else, you're dancing, you're tired, it's 3 a.m., right? Yeah. It's the end. And you, you find yourself, at least I have on a couple occasions, I'm not going to say that I ever admitted this to anybody, but, you know, it's on a podcast now, so what am I going to do? Um, but basically, I was on autopilot. I got to the point where I'm sitting here thinking about something, like someone had mentioned to me, oh, we're going to, these people are going to ride with this back, and I'm thinking, oh, how are we going to make everyone fit in the car? And I'm going through turn patterns, and they're not easy turn patterns. And I remember having someone come up to me afterwards, like, oh, my God, your moves are so smooth, and oh, this is this, and like, I love how you string those moves together. And I thought to myself, I don't even remember what turns I did. Yeah. But they had been turns at the time that I had learned two years in, three years in, and here I am at a decade. And for me, they were, like you said, normalized. They were completely, I'm going to do this turn, and then I say, all right, I'm going to transition into this, and then my mind went somewhere else. Mm. And, and that level of, I guess, internalization of, that, of the moves is kind of what you're looking for in a mastery of moves. But it is an interesting kind of, once again, building upon. So then you're focusing on how do I string these things together, not what move am I going to do next, per se. Okay. What, what are you trying to go for? When you, let's take bachata, for example. What are you, what's your mindset when you're dancing with a woman? Are you going for connection? Are you going for uh, enjoyment, like self-enjoyment, enjoyment of the two? Like what's, what's your general mindset when you're dancing with somebody? Or does it depend on the, the woman? I mean, I think it depends a little bit. I try to, I kind of try to enter every single, uh, I guess, dance situation, if you want to call it that, um, 
looking for for connection. But I do like in my classes, I've told people on a regular basis, it's all about the girls. Yeah. You know, whether it be salsa dance, and I think in particular about bachata dancing, it's all about that follow. So you're trying to establish a connection with her. You're trying to learn how to lead her. You're trying to, you know, communicate the musicality to her so that you two can dance together. Where um, I think it's extra important in bachata, especially mm-hmm. when you're in a closer embrace. So for me, I will say that my primary focus would be, yes, I'm trying to find a connection with that partner. And from that connection, then you can kind of develop a communication. So It's, it's like... There's an aspect I'm I'm trying to reverse engineer. Like if I were at a nightclub right now mm-hmm. and doing bachata dancing, what I what I try to think, and I don't think it's always this clean, but here in the space of you know mid afternoon on a yeah. weekday, it's easier to think about this stuff. Where it's like, part of it is I'm a blank canvas that is waiting to be inspired by the music, by my partner, and let that influence what I do. That's one aspect. The second aspect is you have these rules and you have these frameworks to help to guide that inspiration. So part of it is total inspiration. The other part is I know certain moves, I know certain rules of bachata, I know certain distances, and they kind of mush together in the in the middle in some beautiful sloppy middle, (laughs) right? does that does that ring true for you too, or is this just me and my no, own? No, no, I think here? that you're exactly right. Um, in the first part, I, when you talk about, like you said, basically the connection with your partner and and, and everything like that, I think I don't think I could have, con- you know, condensed it as well as you did there. Um, when it comes to the rules, I think you're right. There are rules. Um, I will say that if my style came out of anything, it was about taking all the rules and just throwing them away. Because yeah. I, I started. I sort of dance because I had a crush on a Dominican girl. There's no dips. There's no turns. It's extremely small movement, close position. That's it. And when I say close, I don't mean close embrace. I mean the traditional style, but close, very small movement. If I gave them any sort of dip at all, they'd give me a look like, what are you doing? Or like my friend Will likes to say, the, uh, the double chin of disapproval. They're like, what, what is this? <laughs> like, what is this? I don't know. I don't want you to dip me. And so there was like a very rigid set of rules. There was a connection there. There was an intimacy there on a very high level, but tons and tons of rules. And whenever we kind of parted ways and games, once again, it was bachata hadn't become big yet. I mean, this was before Ataka and Alamana had really come onto the scene or right when they were coming onto the scene. And we just started breaking the rules in Gainesville, honestly. It was, uh, I mean, there was Carlton. There was Mario Che came later on. Um, but all of us, even Marco, like we're all just breaking the rules. I mean, Marco's been breaking the rules. That's how Latin swag kind of has become what it is. We're going to take what we want to do, and we're just going to do it. And if mm. you don't like it, that's too bad. Um, and that's kind of what we did, at least for me, whenever I started learning. It was like, oh, I'm going to add a dip here. And then Romeo Santos and a lot of these more lyrical artists would take away that structure musically that would give you that Dominican kind of poppiness, and it was all musical. And so what are you going to do at that point? And so that's why I guess I started experimenting with, I'm going to try to lead her movement to what I would envision he's doing with his lyrics. The Johnson leg. When did the Johnson (laughs) leg? I was wondering how long into the podcast (laughs) you were going to get. It's in my notes. Oh, God. Uh, The Johnson Uh, leg. First explain it for the listening audience, what what this whole Johnson leg is about. So so the infamous Johnson leg um, is an urban legend of, of Gainesville, Florida associated with this call. I'm going to find this on YouTube. <laughs> it's got to be you know, search. I'm not going to lie. I think, that, I think that I'm like, you have, a, you have a video of me on YouTube at a Congress dancing with, with Nina from way back in the day. Oh, yeah. Way back in the Perfect. day. Someone like found it. Yeah, you go and link to that too. Yep. Or don't. I'm just kidding. Um, but basically, yeah, the, so the Johnson leg, I don't even know how it became what it was, but it started out as just a dip. And so it was, I'd start a dip slowly, like you normally do a straight dip, like a normal, I guess, I mean, it's hard to explain this when it's just with words, but a straight back dip for the ladies where it's their, their entire core and legs are in line, right? You start with something like that, and then I kind of change it up. Like, I'm going to do more of what they call it, like a, I mean, I guess I call it a sitting dip. So the lady's torso is more upright, I'm more leaning. And so it was more kind of out of a lot of girls who didn't want to dip. They didn't want to do a full dip. They're like, oh, that's too much. And so I'm like, well, I'm just going to lean to the side slightly. Yeah. And right when I got their comfort, I'd lean more within the music, and then it was just, honestly, it was just like a little drop at the end, and then I bring them back, and, and that was the start of the infamous Johnson leg, if you will, and that was, because yeah. uh, basically what would happen is, and this is, I think, where the name came from, is when you give a girl a, a dip that, that deep, 
that low, what would happen is that their, uh, their outside leg would end up hooking around my leg. I'm like, oh, look, it's the leg. <laughs> it's the leg. And they'd be like, oh, what are you doing, Mike? It's the leg. <laughs> um, I would say that if I was to look back, that's kind of where it started from. It was just a dip. And then it kind of, the name stuck. And yeah. I think, I mean, from there it's kind of just evolved between a lot of different stuff. I'm surprised it didn't evolve to what called the Johnson pole. Like, <laughs> I feel like that would be a better word because it looks oh like she's God. just like hanging on a pole. Right, right. You know, um. but the so I, I've tried, I've tried to do this Johnson leg. Yeah. And the, what I can equate this to is how badly I failed at oh, this. Stop it, Ross. Is like, you know, when okay, imagine back in junior high or yeah. whatever it was before you kissed a girl, right? right? And you're trying to practice, and this is before YouTube or anything, so you're like, well, how do I find it? And you're just practicing like in front of the mirror, like, mwah, 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 like, like that, like you feel really <laughs> stupid. Like that's right. how I felt when I tried to do the Johnson leg. Really? Whereas you, you're like making out like a pro with the Johnson oh, leg, right? God. That, that's what I feel. I'm like. So you're saying you're like the, you're the high school freshman watching the senior making out with like the, yeah. the head cheerleader. Yeah, guy. pretty much. I mean, I'm jealous. I'm, I'm oh, totally stop. jealous of the Johnson leg. <laughs> and I, I do maybe a modified leg, like, I understand some of the principles behind it, and it's good to shake things up a little bit. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, so you're saying there's like the modified leg, so you're saying there's like almost like a, a whole evolution. There's different branches of the, of the leg, I think. Yeah. I, I just see it more as like taking her in the same direction twice or yeah. multiple times. You know, that's, that's how I do a miniaturized version of the leg, where we're not doing a full lean over. She's not clasping around right, my right. leg, yeah. but it's just like to the right and to the right again and then bring her back. Exactly, and I, and I think that's exactly how, how it started. It was, I started to do a dip, she felt comfortable, and then I would basically take a little bit more of a, of a, of a wider stance. Mm -hmm. And so the dip became a little bit more of a dip. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, I'd give her a drop and bring her back. And so like exactly right, it was a double motion, and then I'd sweep her back into a close embrace or a closed position. And that's, mm -hmm. that's basically how it started. We were, uh, we were actually, we're messing around at uh, my friend Sarah's house with a bunch of us just like for a get together. And uh, we're all dancing bachata. And it, it's kind of evolved now. And I think a lot of this came from like Mario Che started doing this also. It was, uh, there was more, it became more of a hip lead. So we're leading from the torso and you're leading body rolls or whatever you're leading with the tempo. And then what would happen is we'd break from the upper body and we'd start leading just from the lower body. So you talk about with, I guess, uh, your central bachata or your close embrace bachata, whatever you want to call it, um, there's a much closer connection, right? So instead of just having the connection on the torso, you have a connection along the leg or on your hip or wherever. And now I can lead hip motion and lead her hips along with it. Mm. Um, so that's what I would say it's kind of evolved into now, where I'll basically stop moving the torso completely. And what I'm giving is all lead from the leg, if you will. Um, yeah, don't read too much into that, right? <laughs> Um, but basically what's happening is you have a connection on your inner and outer thigh with the girl's inner thigh, right? Mm -hmm. That's where the leg connection is. So as I lead my hip left or right, she gets a contact point there that she can feel, okay, he wants my hips to go here and go there. Mm -hmm. And that has probably been, me trying to teach my child, that's been the, the largest challenge to teach somebody is how do we now break down from just getting you know, a lead up top to how do we also lead from the hip? Mm. And it's a whole different, it's a whole different mindset because we, like you're talking about these rules. When I say break the rules, I mean the rules are my shoulders go left with my foot and my hips go the opposite direction. And I'm talking about literally I'm going to lead from the torso, stop, and then my hips are now going to go wherever you want to go. Mm. And so it's very, very, uh, it's a very large break from what you would call your traditional type bachatas. But that's almost what it's kind of evolved into now is there's a lead from the hip, there's a lead from the upper body, there's the dip, there's the drops, there's the double moves like you were talking about. And uh, Do you feel like you're still learning stuff in bachata? Um, or have you reached uh, the ever-dreaded plateau that I'm in right now? You know, it's kind of interesting because I never took bachata classes. And I, I know a lot of people think that I'm full of it when I say that, um, but it's true. I literally had a crush on a Dominican girl. She taught me the basics. And then I started just messing around, like I said, with different types of musicalities. And then from there, over the years, you kind of develop kind of your own style, kind of like what you would say with, with salsa. Mm -hmm. Instead of me going to classes to learn the basics, I learned from someone who danced it. And then as you develop your salsa dancing, what happens? You kind of, I like these moves. Like I like raps, or I like spins, or I like I mean, whatever. You do like checks, where you basically are changing direction for the girls, and you kind of develop your own style. You kind of bring it on from there. And I guess you reach a point where 
the dreaded plateau. I've hit there probably two or three times mm -hmm. over the past 10 years. You kind of get to the point where like, oh, I feel super, super comfortable. And it's probably becoming my more dreaded feeling because as soon as I become comfortable, I stop experimenting. Yep. Um, and being in a town like Gainesville, unfortunately, as dancers get to a point where you're able to experiment, they leave. So what happens is you go out of town and you feel a little rusty because you've been more teaching the basic techniques as you dance with people. By, and I mean teaching by leading it specifically. And you go out of town to a congress and all of a sudden you feel a little bit rusty. Like, oh, crap, there's all these, like, these ballers that come out. And, and congresses, I think, is a great change agent. Oh I think God. that going out there, you just realize how badly you suck and it motivates <laughs> you. And then you get back to Gainesville. Like, oh, yeah, I got to start watching YouTube videos again. I have to start practicing. On oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I would say that this is why, I mean, I had a couple people I talked to going to Congress this year, the Orlando Congress. I told them that you'll probably make more strides in your dancing over the three-day, four-day weekend than you will in the past six months. Mm -hmm. And people don't believe me whenever I tell them that. I'm like, if you actually go to the workshops, if you're in a workshop, um, and I think at the beginning, it's really important to see different styles of dance, different types of instruction. And then if you actually stay at the socials, which I think is the key. I mean, if you have to, I mean, I'm all about performances. I think that it's a, it's a huge part of our dance community. It's a way of you know, showcasing what we've learned. But for me, at the root of it all, it's all about social dancing. Yeah. That's me. And I mean, there's a lot of people who will probably flame me for that. But at the end of the day, you know, you can be a good performer and it's not gonna help your social dancing. It's actually, in, in, in times it can actually hurt your social dancing. Oh, definitely, But definitely. I think that social dancing always helps everything. I, I won't name names, but I've heard rumors <laughs> of certain people at certain studios who go, um, in Gainesville you can get by with a lot of that stuff. You could be like not the best follow, not the best lead, but then you go to somewhere like New York, and I've heard oh, about this, oh Lord. where you, know, you go there and you look great on the performance, and People have told me this. They're like, and then we try to dance with these Gainesville people, and and they oh. were like terrible. Like they didn't know how to follow anything. Like, oh, what, yeah. what the hell is wrong with you guys? Yeah, and I mean, it's a, it's a perfect example that as you as you kind of perfect your technique with um, with your social dancing, it's one of those things where, um, or I should say, well, I'm distracted by your, your cute dog here. <laughs> um, yeah, as, as you start to perfect your stuff with with your performance. Um, it's going to help you with your technique. It's going to help you with footwork, body position. How do I look? What's my stance like? It's going to help you with certain types of moves because it's an educational type process. But what you lose is your dancer is the same person. They're doing the same motions repeatedly. And what you start to lose is the ability as a lead to find that connection, adapt to your partner quickly, and then continue dancing. And the same thing with a follow. You lose the ability, I think, to focus on how does this guy lead differently? How can I give him more connection? How do I pick up on his cues and work follow well? And so, like I said, it, it's not mutually exclusive in, in the way that you get better in both, but I think that social dancing always helps. And with your, with your performance, if you don't social dance or don't practice that, you will lose what you have you know, kind of to begin with. I agree, um, I agree. I, I've done, you've been on a lot more performance teams than I have, but I've done, uh, <laughs> I've done three and I learn stuff on every one oh, uh, definitely and it's also motivating you oh, know absolutely. you feel like you are in the center of the <coughs> community a, a lot more than when you just social dance I would oh, say absolutely. like you're in the midst of it and I will tell you my best social dancing happens <laughs> yeah he licks my toes all the time <laughs> um, it happens after a night of performance if I oh, perform yeah. that night the rest of the night you know you're gonna have great dancing it's it's awesome I mean, I, I think there's some books that are written. I forget who the author is, but there's a book called Flow. I think it's actually, actually the name of the book. And it talks about how whether it be business, music, dancing, um, or any type of skill, really, how when we get to a certain level of expertise and we get to a certain level of comfort where you get into the zone, if you will. I mean, that's, that's his, his word that he uses for flow. But you get into your flow and you just kind of go with it. And it's, it's kind of a... It's a very cool feeling to be in the middle of. It's a, it's a different kind of energy that you get. And after you perform, if you kill it on stage, you're social, you're so relaxed. Yep. You feel on top of the world, and it's that the adrenaline rush that you get from that performance of being able to showcase yourself in front of all these people that really just kind of puts you on a complete high that is unlike anything else. Um, and I say that coming from a social dancing perspective where some of the dancers that I've had have put me on an absolute 
high. But it's a different kind of high because it's a camaraderie between that team too. Yeah, and I think it. I, mean, I think you can agree with that also. Is that as you're on that team, you kind of build community within that team, and that yeah. can also carry a scene forward if if that that community is giving back. Definitely, definitely. It's um, I I think what I would boil it down to is high risk, high reward. Oh, absolutely. If you dance with the best dancer there that night, and you have a good dance then the rest of the dances is like, that's your reward, you're in this state of flow. Same thing, if you've killed a performance, you're in that state of flow. Now, same time, high risk, right? <laughs> so if you, if you bomb that dance, then you're like, okay, let's go home. You know, right. like, you just wanna get the hell out of there. Yeah. So there is that dynamic there, and it's, it's almost like a, it's, it's a introspection into how human beings just think and work. It's so funny that it's inside of, of us the whole time, but it's our perception of how that dance went that is completely affecting us oh, yeah. on, on how we interact afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and you say exactly right. It is high risk, high reward. The advantage of social dancing is if you can kind of man up, if you will, or, or lead up, whatever you want to call it, and you go grab another girl who you know is an awesome social dancer, and you try another dance and you kill it, you can recover quickly. Yep. Um, whereas if you perform, it's, it's a single performance. You've been working on it for six months, you get on stage, boom, you drop your partner. Your night's over. It's probably recorded to you. Oh, yeah. It's recorded. <laughs> you'll live in infamy forever. <sighs> um, versus if you're social dancing, I'm not, I don't recommend this. I mean, if, you, if you're doing a turn and you almost drop your partner, you drop your partner, you can recover if you are a gentleman and, you know, you don't blame it on the girl, which I've seen guys go, oh, my God, why'd you fall and all this other stuff. But, I mean, you're right. It's, it's, you're in the spotlight, high risk, high reward. Um, when it comes to social dancing, you can recover. But you do hit on like a very, very important point that I think happens to a lot of people at their first Congress or any sort of social where you show up, you're intimidated, and you go ask someone to dance. They just say no, or you have a bad dance. Mm. And it has the potential to basically ruin your whole night, I think what you're saying. Yep. And what you're saying also is that it has very little to do often with how they actually feel about your dance and more how you feel they felt about their dance with you. Yep. And uh, I'll try to keep it brief, but a perfect example of this was uh, Tampa Congress, I want to say three years ago or so. Um, uh, let's just call it, we're going to call it ambiguous date because I don't remember what. I was single at the time. I was uh, at a Congress, and I went to dance with this gorgeous girl. Great follow, super, super cute. I'm like, I'm going for it. Grabbed her for a bunch after dance. I've been killing it the whole weekend, and I danced with this girl, and I bombed. At least, I thought I bombed. I danced, I'm like, oh my god, I can't lead her. She's not following anything. I can't get any good vibe. She's not smiling. I can't, I can't tell what's going on. I'm like, oh my god, I failed. My <laughs> weekend is over. And I mean, realize at this point, I've already had like really good dances, but it was like the moment when I put my mind to it, I'm gonna give her a good dance. That's my goal. Thought I bombed it. My friend said, I'm not letting you go upstairs until you go dance with me again. Point blank. You're not leaving this room until you go dance with me again. I was like, all right, all right. Dance with me again. Still think I killed it. Gives me like, oh, polite, thank you. I'm like, oh my God, I killed it again. I sucked. It's over. Over. This is all my perception. I realize, once again, I've been dancing for probably seven years at the time. Yeah. People say I'm a really good bachata lead. So all these things are going for me. Experienced dancer, I'm used to Congresses. And I'm still sitting here thinking to myself, I just destroyed everything. I sucked. You can tell our friends I sucked. My weekend's over. Next day at the pool. Oh hey, it, it's it's Mike, right? I'm like, who the hell? Remembers your name? It's good. She time. remembers my name, right? And she says, Oh hey, like oh, uh, I don't know where you're going, but you, you saved me a dance. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> so of course, obviously, curiosity kind of piques my mind. I'm like, what happened? Did someone lie to her? Did someone pay her saying, Oh my God, you made Mike feel like crap? And go 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 dance with them. Yeah, some kind of mistake, right? I'm like, she thinks I'm this other guy, this other big white guy who was at the social last night. And uh, so we danced, and afterwards, this is unsolicited. She, she literally said to me, after we had a couple dances, and we're sitting here chatting by the pool over like a margarita or something, and uh, she looks at me, and she's like, you know, I'm not going to lie, you were probably like one of my best dancers of the whole weekend. And I look at her, I'm like, you were dancing all night. There's, there's no way. Like, when I said when I was dancing with you, I, didn't, I couldn't tell. Like, I felt like you didn't like the dance or whatever. It was like, no, 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 no. You were by far like one of the best. The only reason why you weren't my best dance of the weekend was because the person who beat you was someone I always dance with. We always have amazing dance chemistry. Yeah. But the fact that you were able to develop that kind of dance chemistry with me so quickly, one of the best dances of the weekend. Which I think hits on the same point you're trying to get at where it's a lot of it's our perception 
of what's coming up. Because the whole time she was dancing with me that night, she thought, oh, my God, oh, my God, this guy's a phenomenal lead. Oh, my God, I love dancing with this guy. But my mind kind of talked me out of it. Hmm. No, I suck, right? Yeah. And I think that to kind of put that out there for all the people who may be listening to this who never been to a Congress, been to one Congress, had a bad experience, you have to kind of put yourself in the mindset that it's on to the next one when it comes to a dance because one dance might not be bad because you're bad. You might just not have had a good connection with the person. Maybe she just broke up with her boyfriend. Maybe she's not happy because her friend gave her a criticism. Who knows? Think of a reason. There's probably some reason that could potentially make it where she wasn't completely connected with you in the dance. And just worry about the next person you dance with because it may not be your fault. And the worst thing you can do is to blame yourself in a way that is going to ruin your night. Now, I'm not saying also blame the girl, obviously. In my, my, in my experience, I say it's always your fault. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's an interesting. Yeah. What's that called where you have opposing views at the same time? It's like it's always your fault <laughs> and it's never your fault like, yeah, at the yeah. same time. I mean, I joke in class. I say, all right, guys, just remember now that we're like an intermediate level, it's like it's always if the, guy, if the girls mess up, it is always your fault. Unless it's not. Yeah, it, yeah. It, uh, cognitive dissonance is the na name of the yeah. term I'm thinking of, where it's always your fault. Now let's figure out what the problem was. Absolutely. Right? So I Absolutely. think I think it's like you have the perspective of like, I'm sorry that this didn't work out. This is my fault. Now I'm going to help figure it out because you're messing up the steps here. But you don't point it out like that. But you get to the bottom of it after you take this yeah. approach like this is my fault. And I would say, and when I when I make that, I always have to qualify it because I don't piss anybody off, and I want to be fair in what I'm saying. And the key point about that is to the lady, if you follow him, then it is always his fault. Mm -hmm. The only time it's your fault is when you don't follow. Yeah. Meaning, you're not focused on how can I follow what he's giving me. If you don't do that, then it's your fault because all of a sudden now the connection's gone. It's your either the girls are just as much responsible for that connection, and if a girl tunes out, and it's real easy in bachata for a girl to tune out. Like, I'm just going to do my Dominican style out here. I don't know this guy. I'm just going to do whatever. And the connection doesn't exist anymore. You know, you try to lead some sort of breakdown that's in the music. You try to get a hit in the music, and she's just going on with the basics. There's nothing you can do about that as a lead, and that's when mm -hmm. I would say it becomes the follow's responsibility, if anything. I wouldn't say fault, but the follow's responsibility. Yeah, there's also this concept of backleading. Okay, let, let's talk about backleading back for a moment because <coughs> everyone calls backleading the worst thing that you can do. Mm. And I agree, it's pretty bad. Uh, wh when I'm dancing with someone, I don't like backleading. They never get it right. There's always mistakes that come from ladies who backlead. Yeah. But it's funny how uh, I recently discovered this is that backleading is one of my best teaching tools actually for, uh, for guys. So what I'll do quite often at Gator Salsa is I'll be teaching a turn pattern and a good portion of the guys just will not be getting it. And I'll say, okay, ladies, initiate back leading. You know? And I want them to actively back lead because they know the steps. Oh, it's easier okay. for the ladies to work the steps, right? So it forms this kind of framework for the guys to understand what their pressure should be, where their pressure should be. I believe the back leading I did on this one example I'm thinking of is the um, – you know the frisbee toss where you throw the hand and you get the other, Absolutely. and then you do the frisbee spin, right? Yeah. Uh, that was the move, and they just weren't getting the toss on the right time to mm -hmm. toss it back. And I was like, ladies, just back lead this thing. Throw your hand back on the count that you know it should go back. And it's so much easier for them because their steps fall in line with their hands, and it just makes a lot of sense. And I found after doing that for about 30 seconds, all the guys who were having problems with it instantly got it. Absolutely. Right? So... Uh, <coughs> The all, uh, maybe it comes down to, again, there are rules in salsa, yeah. but the rules can be broken. There are rules in bachata, but the rules can be broken. Yeah. Maybe not in social dancing in that context, but taking that backleading idea, that's been, you know, a lot of people don't like yeah. the idea of it, and using it in a productive way. I think it's, uh, a lot of it's also environment. Um, when I teach class with bachata, because it's a huge experiment for me to try to teach, because I'm not teaching turn patterns. Mm. I tell people I'd be taking your money and wasting your time if I taught you turn patterns, because... Everybody teaches turn patterns, and you can go online and watch YouTube. Yeah. I mean, bachata turn patterns in general are relatively simplistic. Um, what's much more difficult is to troubleshoot a lead and a fall, like you just said. What's the timing for this? How much do I need to toss the hand? Um, so environment, I think, is really important. And I always try to tell my students that class is a safe place. Meaning, if a girl tells you, I need more of a lead here, or I don't think you're doing this correctly, could you try something else? 
it's a safe place where I want the followers to tell the lead, this is what I'd like you to do, and I'll be able to understand your lead better, and vice versa. If a girl is resisting too much or they feel that there's some sort of loss of connection, to bring it up in class because it's a safe place. You know, in the same token, that's an appropriate environment for correction where I think if you go to a social out of town and you immediately assume that as soon as I have a disconnect with my partner that I should teach them the disconnect, yeah. probably not the best environment. It's kind of what you're saying. It's like yeah. back leading in a social environment. Not so much. Bad. Always bad, but back leading can be a tool in a teaching environment. Yep. And, and you can also break it down to implicit versus explicit feedback loops. Right? Absolutely. So you have these feedback loops of the lady usually telling the guy, but sometimes the guy telling the lady too, what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Yeah. Now, if you're in social dancing, most of that feedback loop is going to be implicit. Absolutely. You're not going to be saying you did that wrong. You better not be saying that. No, the girls just give you the double chin disapproval. Like yeah, mm. double chin. Exactly. <laughs> That's totally implicit. Double chin disapproval. You got it. So, but on teaching, it's implicit and explicit. And that becomes arguably a much more effective way to teach when you're getting these verbal cues to say no, do it harder, do it softer. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. We're, we're, you know, <laughs> we're still talking bachata, right? I mean, we're so, talking something. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so having that, like, I, I think in practice and teaching, implicit and explicit cues are vital to become better. Uh, in social dancing, just implicit. Implicit cues is what you would want to be using with the double chain of disapproval, yeah, yeah. with other things like body language is big for me. I always pay attention to this. So where that becomes really tough, though, yeah. is, man, these ladies who don't smile. I oh hate God. it. Like, they show zero emotion <laughs> on the dance floor. I feel like I have to drop them for them to show some kind of emotion. You know, um, I have had a couple conversations actually recently. I was like, hey, any, any girl in the dance who stopped smiling, I lost the eye contact. And uh, the girl told me um, explicitly, she was like, no, that, that means I'm into it. Like, I'm in the zone. Like, when, mm. I, when I get that, like, that intense face on my, look on my face, it means that I'm in the zone. And I was like, Okay, that's good to know, because otherwise I would have thought that you may or may not have been enjoying the dance. And, um, or otherwise no. it would have been the RBF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but basically uh, it, it is a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting idea of those implicit and explicit cues, because you're right, with the, the smiling for me, or any sort of, of eye contact that's sustained, that stuff to me is, is an indicator of, of a good connection with my partner. Um, it's either a physical connection because they are willing to get closer to me, or it's a, once again, a little bit less of a direct connection where there's, there's a give and take in eye communication. So if I'm breaking down something with the beat, I'm doing a body roll here, whatever, they're kind of adding their own flair to it, they're adding their own style to it, and they might give me a smile. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I play off of because, once again, my I guess the, the core of what I try to do when I dance is it's about showing off the lady or, once again, you're trying to make the lady feel good. Mm -hmm. Once again, what are we talking about? Are we talking about dance? Are we talking about something completely different? Um, I would say to be as, as um, polite as possible, I'd say that in both of those situations that we're talking about, and for those of you who get it, you get it, um, it is about giving back to your partner. You're trying to make her feel like the prettiest girl in the room, like the best dancer in the room, like you have the best connection with her in the room. You're, she's the only girl who should exist at that point in time. Um, and that's kind of how I approach the dance. If I can't make her smile, when she leaves the dance, even if she's serious the whole dance, my goal is for her when she walks away to smile and be like, oh my God, that was amazing dance. If I don't do that, then I didn't do my job as a lead. And, and it could be as simple as, I can be in close embrace, doing very, very subtle leads the whole song because she's a beginner, but she feels like, oh my God, I, I picked up on everything. I picked up on everything you did, even though they're basic, relatively speaking. And she walks like, oh my God, that was the greatest dance of my night. He didn't try to do anything crazy, he just kept it simple, but I followed everything, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's very important to have some sort of goal like that in mind. Like I'm trying to, as a, as a lead, to make her happy, make her smile, make her enjoy the dance. And if there's some other motive in mind of, I wanna look like a badass, well, maybe you should dance with your friends. Because <laughs> your friends won't mind as much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's actually talk about that for a moment. Do you have a preference on dancing with new people or dancing with known people? Because mm. I, most women I speak to will say they want to dance with their friends. They don't want to dance with new people. Whereas most most guys I speak to, including myself, want to dance with new people as opposed to their current, you know, women that they tend to dance with. So, so we're talking from a from a. Um, 
a dating perspective or talking mm. from a dancing perspective? So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, okay. It's a little both. bit of, a little little bit of both. Right? But I will <laughs> say from a, let's say we're in search of our best dance of the night. Absolutely. Okay. From that perspective, who are you going to go with? Well, I think it would depend on who's there. I mean, mm -hmm. if I'm at, I mean, to throw a name out there, if I'm at a, a local dance social here and, and Danely's there, I'm going to go dance with Danely. I mean, she's been here forever and she is an absolutely incredible follow, makes me feel like a million bucks because she looks like she's having a blast the whole time. But what it comes down to for her is she's a phenomenal follow. So it allows me as a lead to be as expressive as I want because I know that whatever move I lead, she's going to follow it. Um, so once again, I'm kind of looking for what? I'm looking for someone who I can find a connection with quickly and express the moves and play around with the music and hits and whatnot and whatever. Um, I think in a, in a general sense, if I'm going out to a social out of town, I think depending on where I'm at, it kind of changes my mindset. If I go to Congress, I'm going to dance with my friends beginning of the night, and at the end of the night, I'm like, no, go away. I can yeah. dance with you back in Gainesville. And it's not, it's not meant to be a bad thing, um, but when you have access to as many great dancers, once again, it's, I'm looking for that connection. It's almost a challenge. It's how quickly can I develop that connection. Um, I'm not sure if I've kind of like gone off on too much of no, a tangent. No, no, I, I, I'm following everything that you're saying, and I agree, and I think there are some social etiquette aspects there, too, where in the beginning yeah. of the night you dance with your friends because that's just what you do, yeah. um, making everyone comfortable, getting everyone, it's almost like warm-up dances, you know, they're not going to judge you, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, with, and with girls, whenever, like, if I go out of town or if I tell people who are going out of town, I would say always want to bring a somewhat, I don't want to say equal ratio, but you want to have girls and guys with you. And when you go out of town to a social you've never been to before, what I recommend more than anything else, because I used to do this back, once again, when I had the crush on the Dominican girl and we danced salsa and bachata and everything else. We go out of town, I would be completely whored out for the first 15 minutes of the night. And by whored out, they'd be like, okay, hey, make me look good, make me look good. <laughs> and so she literally, my two friends would make me go on both sides of the dance floor, grab a salsa dance, and just throw down. Like throw out the craziest stuff you have, just go, go ham, just go ham. So that, what happens? Every guy in that club now sees, holy shit, they're phenomenal. They're a great follow. Look at, look at how, how good the dancers they are and everything else. And the same thing for me as a guy. It's like, oh, those two girls are willing to dance with him. And he's a good lead, clearly, because he's doing these crazy moves. And when it came to bachata, oh, they're willing to get close to him. He must not be a creeper. Mm. Now, whether or not that's the case, who knows? when it comes to dancing. But what it does do is it sets a stage where you look like a good dancer, a good, a good follower, a good lead, and someone is willing to dance with you, which I think when you go out of town and you don't know anybody, makes your night go a whole lot smoother. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, there's that whole aspect of social proof going on, people yeah. understanding what, what the quantity is. And oh, yeah. that's probably a bigger deal for, uh, for women than guys, because guys can't really get hurt. Women, uh, occasionally I have been. <laughs> occasionally, I've gotten you know scratched eyeballs, etc. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, um, but <laughs> but in general, it's it's much more a risk for the lady. So like, much like in real life, when you know a guy dates a girl, it's it's always more risky for the lady than for the guy yeah. in these dance interactions. So knowing yeah. if they are a creeper, but also knowing if they have a light lead or if they're really rough, yeah. uh, if you have a pre-existing injury on your wrist or on your hip or something, uh, you have to be really careful who you dance with for those reasons so it doesn't inflame anything and then ruin the rest of your night dancing. So there yeah. are a whole lot of things I think ladies have to consider that guys don't have to And, and there's also the whole um, social, I guess, I'm not sure what the proper term is, social cues or social s status or whatever you want to call it, but the idea that Men ask women to dance, and I think mm -hmm. that in this modernized equality that we have with our dance community, um, it has developed to where that's not necessarily always the case. Um, it's obviously perfectly appropriate for both genders to ask the the other to dance. Um, there is obviously more pressure, more ex expectation for a guy to go ask a girl. Um, and I think that what you get also is you get a ratio difference sometimes. You get a lot of socials, and... Sometimes you get two to one ratio of girls to guys, and what happens? The girls who are eagerly standing on the side of the dance floor, looking outwardly smiling, they're the ones who get asked to dance as opposed to the girls who are sitting down on a table way back in the back of the room. And I've had girls come up to me like, oh my God, I didn't have fun tonight. And I'm like, why not? Like, well, no one dances with me. And I said, well, 
I thought you were like upset about something. I mean, I danced as much as I could. I danced with the girl like two, three times. But you were sitting over in a corner with your arms folded and your legs crossed, and there's all these girls standing in front of you on the side of the dance floor. And I said, there's a fear on both sides of rejection. I know for a guy, you're trying to read body language, right? You talk about the lead and the follow. I'm more likely to go ask a girl to dance who's standing next to the dance floor, smiling, eager, looking eager to dance with somebody than someone who looks upset sitting at a table. Yep. And I say that because rejection sucks no matter what level of dance you're at. And a perfect example for me was Salsa Heat, Bachata Social, a couple months ago. Got back into town, first stop, going to Salsa Heat. And I got there a little bit late, and I show up. I'm like, all right, cool, it's Bachata, I got this. Throw down a couple dances with some of my friends, and then start asking girls in the land dance. And I'm not sure if I had, like, a super vibe or the wrong clothes on or I looked sweaty or something, but no joke, nine separate songs, or excuse me, ten separate songs, I got rejected nine times in a row. Are you serious? And I'm not talking about, I can understand you walk up to a group of, of, of like, four or five girls and you ask one girl to dance, she says no. You ask another girl, she says no. You ask the other girl, she says no. And the last two girls, I'm just going to say no because I'm the fourth or fifth choice. That's just (laughs) not going to happen. But I'm talking about distinct, I I asked a girl to dance, the song ended, another song came on. I tried to grab girls when they came off the dance floor. And they'd be like, no, 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 I'm okay. Go stand on the side and then dance with someone else. And I was like blown away. And once again, it's back to the whole confidence thing. I got rejected nine times. I was done. I'm like, okay, there's an hour left. I'm going to go dance with my friends. Yeah, um, and there is a rejection factor for guys, and I think there's a rejection factor for girls. Wait, too. let's let's not move on from that. We need yeah. to understand what the hell happened. I've never, <laughs> <coughs> never heard of anyone being rejected like nine times. Okay, look, at most, at most, I think you get rejected at night like two or three times. I think was my worst night. So I mean, what? <laughs> any any hypo- give, give me a hypothesis of what do you think was going on there? I mean, I think it's very simple um, environmentally. Uh, I they didn't know who I was. And you have a guy who comes in, nobody knows who he is, it's Orlando. Uh, Orlando's a very different scene than here. Yeah. So I'm sure you get a lot of like just, once again, this is not to make any gross generalizations, but I'm sure there's a lot of machismo guys who just think that they can just walk up to girls and just like have their way with them. And of course that comes back to the whole idea of the confidence of dancing with a guy. So they basically, the guys just basically molest the girls. They just get all up on them for a bachata. They have no idea what they're doing, but they're gonna dance real close to them. Mm-hmm. and. I think it might have just been the fact that no one knew who I was. They had no, like, basis to figure out who I got there late in the night. So it wasn't earlier in the night where they could have seen me dance. Um, I mean, I brought three shirts, went through two of them. <laughs> went through two of them being rejected nine times in a row. Yeah, wow. Um, so I was, I was aware of my hygiene. Um, but, yeah, it was – and, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I'm not going to lie. This, there was a moment of, of a bit of ego that was bruised. Yeah. I was like, yeah, sure. I'm the leg. I'm like, yeah. I've, I've been dancing bachata for ten years. And I'm a good lead. I've been consistently told that I'm a good lead, which is the most important thing to me. And I'm a respectable lead. And I'm a smooth lead. And I have good hygiene. And then to be rejected nine times is kind of like, oh, my God. Were you, you dressed uh, particularly white? No, I was wearing, okay. um, I was wearing a, a T-shirt, a dry T-shirt, just, just for all the people out there. It was a dry mm. T-shirt with cologne, not too much deodorant. Mm. I had just taken mm. a shower. I was clean and jeans and, and my and my white chucks. Because what I think saves me a lot of times, I'm white. We're both white. We know <laughs> we know how it is for white people trying to dance salsa, right? Yeah. There is that that like stereotype of well white bit. people can't dance and all yeah. that. So I look Latin enough and I dress Latin enough mm. that people think I'm Latin and I'm good enough now that it's like, okay, you probably are Latin. They don't second guess it but yeah. Um, you know that that's the that's my best guess, man. I've I've never ever heard that before. You know, you listeners, if you know, if you've ever been rejected, hey, believe me. If if I if I look too white and you don't want to dance with me, then just yeah, tell hey, me that. You know, and, you know, it's it's cool. But it's your loss. It's your I loss, mean, lady. I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be that guy. Like I said, my in my experience, I've been told I'm a good lead, and I'm not offensive in the way I dance. <laughs> at least most <laughs> of the time. Um, yep. So. For me, it was kind of one of those moments in time where I, was, I had to sit there and reevaluate because I hadn't been here in about a year. This is mm-hmm. my first social since I've been back, and I'm excited. I've been telling all my friends who are in Austin, 
Uh, I'm going back to Florida. I'm going to get that good bachata. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. And I get back, and it's like I'm apparently not going to get any good bachata because nope. no one will dance with me. Nope. Um, so, yeah, it was just one of, those, it was one of those nights. I mean, I couldn't get, I couldn't get danced for salsa. Yeah. So I danced with Emmer. <laughs> and we freaking killed it. It was awesome. Uh, em- Emmer's a guy, for yeah. those of you who don't know. And Emmer's a freaking phenomenal fellow. So yeah. I said, screw it. I'm going to dance with Emmer. If no one else <laughs> in here wants to dance with me, fine. That's, that's cool. Yeah, I wonder um, what ladies think. It, so we already talked about when you dance with a lady, the other ladies see, and they're like, oh, he's a good follow yeah. or a good leader. But what happens when you dance with another guy and you lead him well? Are they just, like, impressed on the same way? Or are they just, like, why are those two guys dancing together? Or, like, oh, they're just, like, goofing around. I, I don't want to dance with that guy. I wonder what goes through their head. I mean, I know the, it was at the end of the night. I didn't care. It was whatever. Emmer's a good yeah. follow. I mean, he, he yeah. taught me how to dance back whatever it was uh, 10 years ago. He was my yeah. instructor. And, uh, I mean, there is a little bit of that. I mean, you see it a lot. Like, a couple guys are dancing. And it depends on – there's a lot of contextual cues there. I mean, sometimes it's guys just trying to show off and like, oh, look at me, I can spin or whatever it yeah. is. I'd say that there's not like really a stigma there as far as like, why are they doing it? Yeah. Um, but once again, for me, it was just like, look, I can, I can lead him. I can definitely lead you. <laughs> you know, like, what's the big deal? It's like, I mean, it's, it's just a lead and follow thing. It's not a big deal. Yep. Um, but it is interesting because, like I said, it's, it's, uh, it was the first time it's ever happened. Um, you get over it and you move on. But I will say that coming back to Florida, you come, I came back like just really, really want to experience the dancing here. And it was a complete wash. I was like, oh my God, I don't yeah. know if I want to go back to that social again. Just once again, yeah. maybe, and then maybe it was just the crowd. Because um, you Could go to different types of socials. I mean, you go to certain congresses. Once again, no need to name names. I know for me, Orlando is one of the friendliest congresses I've ever been to. Um, you go to that congress and it's phenomenal because I know nobody. And everyone wants to dance with you. And maybe it's just the Congress atmosphere. But I've been to other Congresses. And it's very snotty. Very <laughs> New York. I will I, say nothing. I haven't been to that Congress. But, yeah, you get the idea. Once again, I don't know you. There's no two degrees of separation here in yeah. how I know you. And so, therefore, I'm not going to dance with you because I don't want to waste the dance at the Congress, which is unfortunate. Um, so, so bringing it back, and I'll, we'll kind of wrap things up here is I want to know when you were a salsa community, what were some specific strategies or tactics that you did that you think propelled you to where you are now or just get you past that, that hump that a lot of people don't ever get past, right? They, yeah. they just never really get, quote, good, right? What would you say are some tactics that, that you did that maybe others didn't, didn't do as regularly? Let me think of, I'm gonna see if I can think of how to phrase this as concisely as I can. Um, I do have a tendency to ramble. Um, I would say that for me personally, I mean, this kind of goes a little bit with my backstory of how I got into salsa. Um, I was taken to a Latin night in Gainesville by a Cuban friend of mine that I met from a car club here in town. And took me in, showed me the basic steps. All right, you're good to go, walked away. Started dancing with girls. And I had two girls ask me to dance, 30 seconds into the dance, they patted me on the shoulder, said thank you, and walked away. And that was my introduction to salsa was, oh, I suck. Um, he then told me we have classes, so he took me to class. And, and the reason I say the order is important is that I went to class because I wanted to be better social dancing going out. It was, classes were a means to an end for me as opposed to the ends. And I think what's happened in, in smaller scenes where there's not a huge place for people to go out and social dance, what you get is people go to class and they think that class, is, class means I dance salsa. I, I go to class to dance salsa. And for me, it was just a, just a part of the equation. And when I started, there were more Latin nights here. But I would spend three days a week in class. So we had three nights, two hours each with casino style to start, and then one of the nights was LA, or bachata or something. And so for six hours a week, I was in class. But more important than those six hours was we had a Latin night Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. And my classes suffered slightly for this, I'll be honest. Um, but my focus was I jumped in and I would go out and social dance. And so I'm social dancing, you know, 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week. and. I'll be honest, I had trouble with even just the basic salsa step. And I played saxophone for eight years. I played violin for another seven years you know, prior to that. So I had a huge musical background. And even with that, it took me a solid six months, I mean, six months of doing what I just said, to feel comfortable not having to count the counts for my basic step. 
And the only way I got over the hump was lots and lots of social dancing. It was lots of social dancing, it was going to class and immediately applying it straight back to going out dancing. It wasn't, I'm gonna go to one hour of class this week, I might go out social dance for a few minutes, and I might dance with a couple people, and then next week I'll go to class again, and then I'll just assume that I'm gonna get better, and when I don't, I'm just gonna give up. It was, in a lot of ways, grinding, but I wouldn't want to use yeah. that word because it's negative. It was, I went to class and then I went and I, and I went and I pounded it out on the dance floor. Yeah, so. there, there is a difference between simple and easy. Yes. And what you're talking about is very simple and it's what I did as well. But what we did is not easy, mm -mm. Both, both mentally and physically. Mentally speaking, getting over that hump of fear of rejection, going out social dancing, a lot of people stopped at that point. And the other part is actually spending the time and going out and the late nights and the travels outside town, yeah. social dancing more than once a week. You gotta do at least three, four times a week. And it, the thing is, it's not like a cumulative gain. Yeah. It's a frequency gain. It's I think that's skill. what a lot of people don't get. It's like, oh, I do it once a week, that means I'll be good in a year versus you'll be good in a month. It doesn't work like that. It's like you'll never get good if you do it just once a week. And, and there is an aptitude portion to it. I mean, you take someone, once again, I, I keep bringing her up because she's phenomenal. Uh, you take someone like Danley and she's a star because she learns so incredibly quickly. And you have some people like that who you show them something and they learn it immediately. Like some mm -hmm. of the people who I've taught by Joppa to. You teach them a move and they do it wrong the first time and the second time they got it and they're done. And forever and ever, they will follow that bachata move or that salsa move. Um, but you're right, it, it's, a, it's a skill. It's just like anything else. If you are a master chef and you take three, four weeks off and you come back and try to cook again, your skills are gonna be off. You might nick a finger when you're chopping up some, some vegetables, you might burn something, you might overcook or undercook something. Um, with salsa dancing, it's kind of the same thing where, like you just said, I can grind it out for a year, and this happened to me. I plateaued after two years and I got bored. And I said, ah, I'm good enough. And I just danced without focusing on the skill set. I didn't go out as much. I didn't go to congresses, and what happened? My skill dropped off immensely. My ability to string moves together or just listen to the music. There's so many different, like you said, there's so many different aspects. The music, the dancing, the feel, everything. Um, that you have to kind of you have to have a passion for it in order to get good. Well, and that's the thing. People are probably thinking, and uh, some maybe you're even listening and saying like, man, you're telling me I have to social dance all this time in order to stay good? And what we're saying is you get to social dance all the time and you get better. Like, that's the reward, not the cost. It, it is the cost, but ultimately we view it as the reward because we love social dancing. But if you view it as the time you have to put in to get you know this quote unquote good, that's not the right approach. It's like right. you, you have to live and breathe this thing because you have to enjoy it. Well, yeah. um, and, and the other thing is how you learn. I think that's also really important for anyone who is taking private classes or classes from an instructor uh, or classes from anyone where they have to pay, understanding how that person teaches and understanding that you don't, you may not learn the same way that someone teaches you. Yeah. You can learn kinesthetically, you can learn audio, you can learn visual. Um, a lot of people need to be shown things and need to do things themselves in order to learn it. Other people, like Magna is the one I like to point out to, she learns all three of those ways. That's why she got so good so fast. Mm -hmm. So she can listen to someone explain how the move works and she can do it. She can watch someone and she can do it. Or she can do it herself and she can do it. That's like that, that's the, you know, that's the, what is it called, a triple threat? Yeah, in, the trifecta. Uh, that's yeah, the trifecta. yeah, it's insane. It's insane, man. Yeah. Um, so okay, uh, as we as we wrap up here, yeah. uh, any parting thoughts? Any parting like words of wisdom, or it doesn't have to be wisdom; it could just be <laughs> words uh, that you'd like to share before we close up today. Um, I'd say, on a humorous note, good hygiene is important, if not the most important thing. You can be the best dancer in the world if you don't have good hygiene; you will not get dances. Um, that's my humorous note. Um, and I'd say for for all the leads out there. Um, Focus on, focus on the follow when you're dancing. Focus on establishing connections. You don't have to do crazy moves. Just make sure that the moves that you're leading are something that they can follow if you're trying to enjoy the dance. And, and realize that, that there's two parts to, to all these equations, that the blame game's never gonna work. It's about a partnership for those few minutes. And um, you know, if we're talking about, if we're talking about bachata, and we're talking about that connection, um, you know, it's really, really extra important to, to focus on, on not I guess, violating that trust that that person's giving you by 
getting too close, reading her signals on what the comfort zone is, and then just, and once again, developing that connection with that person. I mean, each dance is kind of like a relationship. You know, you start, you don't really know the person, there's a little bit of distance, and as you kind of go through that dance, you get closer and more connection, your communication gets better, and, you know, towards the end of the dance, yes, it's a brief, it's a brief moment in time, but at the end of that, the end of that dance, you know, it should feel like a good relationship where you've been able to kind of get through any miscommunications you've had and get to a good point where you both understand each other and have like a very good, um, a good situation going on. So. Definitely, and I would leap on to that metaphor by saying probably the most effective way to get good at salsa or bachata is to get dumped by someone in the scene. And <laughs> like, or just have it not work out in one way or another, but you probably have to be heartbroken, okay? And this comes down to two different kinds of people where okay. you're dating a girl or a guy and you really like them and they dance salsa and they got you into salsa because you're like, oh, I want to be with this person, so let me dance salsa. And it doesn't work out and you're heartbroken, they break up with you. They're the people who retreat back to whatever they were before that uh. and they're depressed. And there are the people who think like, well, screw that guy, screw that girl, yeah. I'm going to be good and show them. Or, screw that guy, screw that girl, like, I love, I'm this. A, I love this, yeah, and like, like the only thing that makes me feel good because I'm depressed under this guy or this <laughs> girl is dancing salsa. Like, I think that's the, the overarching motivation that will solve all the questions of like, well, how do I get the motivation to go out and go to classes, to watch YouTube videos, to, to dance and to social dance and yeah. remember all these things. You need, like you said, a goal. And yeah. in some cases, the goal can be going out and social dancing, but you probably will do that a lot more too if you're looking for you know, someone that you wanna be with romantically speaking or, or something else, but you need that motivation. Like think long and hard about that motivation on why you're dancing too. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you're exactly right. It's, it's, for me, it's always been the social, the people you meet, uh, the dances you get to enjoy. Um, and for anybody who's passionate about a sport or a skill, um, the social dancing is when you actually get to play the game. If you like basketball, that's when you get to go play with your boys and you get to go out and play basketball if it's, if it's another sport or something like that. But when you go to class, it's kind of like when you go to the gym or you're training for that sport, it's you're trying to get better to go back to your goal. Um, if you focus on the goal while you're doing the hard work, it makes the hard work a lot easier um, as opposed to looking at it as work. Like, oh, I have to go to class again. Oh, my God, all these classes to get better. If you just focus on... I'm going to go social dance, and I just want to social dance a little bit better than I was before. I just want to enjoy myself a little bit more than I did last time. What you'll find is that you have to play the long game. You can't play the short game. Mm -hmm. And if you focus on enjoying the moment that you're in and, and working on you know, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you find the passion, the music, the dancing, the people, um, the work will happen on its own. Um, it'll kind of, throughout time, you'll just realize two years have passed and you've become a much better dancer and it's become more than just a hobby for you now, it's become a passion. Um, but I think once again, if you focus on the hard stuff or the things that you don't like, I mean, it's really easy to make anything not enjoyable. If you focus on the good things, the positive things, I think that is kind of, uh, find your passion and focus on that. Awesome. Powerful words, Johnson. Man, I appreciate, appreciate you coming by, it was fun. No, absolutely, I appreciate the time to talk about it. So. Yeah, for sure. Lo están llamando. Oye, pana. Estás en otro mundo. Sin cañón te cantaré con sabrosura. 
prestada mi pana y que fácilmente todo se acaba. Por eso yo voy a cantarte mi coro que dice así. Oye, qué fantasía, ven. Mente 